mention is prayer, glorifying God. And, and these stories really are glory to God. I mean, you notice the, they're all different. And the people in them, pretty much without exception, are making their mistakes and doing things that, you know, would be better they didn't do. But God just comes out just doing all these great things. It's just wonderful. Now, of course, the book of Judges has one common cycle that keeps repeating. And what is that cycle? <coughs> well, that's, that's one phase in the cycle. The, the Israelites sin, that's phase one of the cycle. Then they're oppressed. Then they're oppressed by an enemy. And they don't like it, so they call on God. Then the third part is they tell God they're sorry. And then the fourth part, God sends a leader, a judge, and He rescues them. Um, yeah, we have one she in the book. Yes, that's very interesting here. Um, yeah, and that's uh, first up on our story, in fact. Um, Deborah was a prophetess. Now, what's a prophetess? Yeah, female prophet. Yeah, someone that speaks God's word. We're in Judges chapter four. Um, this is the first mention of prophet in the book. Um, there aren't very many. There's only two in the whole book mentions of a, of a prophet, Deborah. And then there's a guy a couple chapters over that we'll get to this morning. Yeah. yeah. I know you'd love to cover, but I have a question. Um, I was wondering, besides Deborah, there were were there any any prophets after Deborah to? Um, well, they had it written down. Remember, they were supposed to have it read to them every seven years. Um, Even when God speaks to them, how does God speak to them? Without well, no, there were prophets. I mean, think about it. You got the major prophets. You got the minor prophets. We haven't got any of those. No, and, I mean, I mean, in this, in Judges, they didn't have the. Oh, no, there weren't. The, um, what they were supposed to have, they were supposed to have the Levites, they were supposed to have the priests. Um, and apparently those people just didn't do a good job at all because these people are just so far from from doing what God wants them to do. It's just very sad. Um, so yeah, I, I think a prophetess is sort of a... Well, bring, bring this one in because you know the ones we appointed aren't doing the job. Um, where, where was the tabernacle at this time? At, at Shiloh. Um, but I don't. Well, actually, over there they pronounce it Shiloh, but we pronounce it Shiloh, so it's fine. Um, I don't think Shiloh's mentioned in the Book of Judges. They just—I may be mistaken. We may find it later, but it, it just—it um, was really sad. I mean, the, peop the people didn't have spiritual leaders, um, and they just constantly kept going into the, the sins of the neighbors. The people, the Canaanites, that they hadn't driven out like they were supposed to, they would, they would start doing what those people did. And so, in, in chapter 4, who was the enemy God brought in against them? Jabin. Jabin, king of Canaan. Now, there was a Jabin in the book of Joshua. Um, when, um, when Joshua did his northern campaign, you remember there was... Uh, they crossed 
around near Jericho, and then they had the southern campaign, and then they had the northern campaign. And the northern campaign did involve a guy named Jabin, and probably the term Jabin is uh, kind of like a term Pharaoh. It, it, it's just the term those people used for their leader, their king. Because um, this, I mean, he too much time is gone. It couldn't be the same guy. Um, but he was in, uh, in the city of Hazor, Jabin was. And so this is going to be a northern um, uh, oppression. Uh, you remember we've been talking about the fact that these oppressions are not always covering the whole nation. In fact, sometimes you have two judges at the same time, one in the north and one in the south, because um, it wasn't a very unified nation at all, as, as we'll see in, in a later story this morning. Um, so he oppresses them for 20 years severely. And what did he have that made it really, really hard for the Israelites iron to oppress chariots. them? Yeah, iron chariots, yeah. So... Um, yeah, yeah. So that's that would make quite a, a formidable uh, force. That you know, the equivalent today would be tanks. I mean, obviously a, a chariot is not as powerful as a tank, but they didn't have guns back then either. So a chariot would be uh, formidable against the weapons they had. And you know, here you have uh, basically a ragtag army of Israelites that are not they're not professional soldiers. If you have nine hundred chariots. You have a professional army. I mean, you've got, uh, you know, the the people that would be riding in the chariot would be professional archers, um, that you know that they can hit their target. So you know you go out on a battlefield against those, and you know you're a farmer, and you know you brought an ox goat or something, you know, because you didn't have a sword. I mean, this is <laughs> it's laughable to think that you can go against something like that. So, Deb, but Deborah, as, a, as the inspired one of God, she summoned a who? Barak, and told him to get an army and mount uh, and march to Mount Tabor. Here's Mount Tabor, and and his job is then to attack the the 900 <laughs> chariots of iron. And uh, he was a little bit nervous about this, and so what did he say? Yeah, if you'll go with me. Yeah, now he he wasn't asking Deborah to do the job. He was willing to do the job. He was going to be the general and do it. But he just didn't have the confidence that God was going to give him this victory unless he had God's prophet with him, which in this case was a prophetess, Deborah. Um, she wasn't too happy about that. So what did she tell him? His her victory his victory won't be won by him but by a woman. Yeah, yeah. The glory is going to go to a woman. Was she talking about herself? As it turned out, it was a woman quite unconnected. Yeah. Um, so, um, once Sisera... Now, Sisera is not the king. Sisera is the general. Um, but once the general finds out that this army has amassed, he brings out his chariots. And the chariots cannot go on a mountain. I mean... It, you know, these, it's not like a tank that can go anywhere. Chariots went on flat areas. But there's a huge flat area very near Mount Tabor, and that's the, what's called the Plain of Jezreel or the Plain of Esdraelon. Same thing. Um, and it's, uh, it's well known in the Bible that, that a lot of battles are fought there. Um, and so that's where he comes with his chariots. And then it's up to Barak to lead his forces down into the plain to fight the chariots. But 
Barak wasn't doing it by himself. In verse 15 he says, The Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots. Uh, now it says, With the edge of the sword before Barak. But there, if you look at the song of Deborah, she gives us some additional details that aren't in the, the prose part. In the poetry... Um, in verse 20, chapter 5, verse 20, the stars fought from heaven. From their courses they fought against Sisera. The torrent of Kaishan swept them away. The ancient torrent, the torrent Kaishan. So apparently the, the Kaishan River um, flooded and that swept the, uh, the chariot so that uh, they were pretty useless. In fact, they were so useless that Sisera had to hop out and he was on foot trying to get away. And he comes to who? Jael. And um, what tribe is she from? Hey, my tribe. <laughs> the Kenites. <laughs> yeah, which was not an Israelite tribe. Um, Where did these Kenites come from? Yeah, they, they were the tribe of Moses' father-in-law. Um, they, as far as I know, they come from from Midian. In fact, from Midianites. Um, but they were they were good. They they had they had come with uh, Moses and the Israelites, and they'd settled in the land. Now most of the Kenites actually settled way down here, down in the desert, which would fit. I mean, the, they were in the desert when Moses was tending sheep with them, so that that would be a natural place. But this one group. Um, Jael's husband is named Heber, and I don't know how many were with Heber, but they camped somewhere up here. They lived up somewhere up there. They were in tents. And they were at peace with Sisera, so she was able to deceive him. And again, like we said last week, the fact that people do things in the book of Judges doesn't mean they're right. And the fact that she deceives this guy and says he's going to be safe and you know come on in and, and you know sleep, and then she um, nails his head to the ground, uh, that God was using her to um, to deliver His people, and God used the people as they were, and and we saw, I mean, we saw Ehud with his deception. Uh, last time and uh, again we can't use these things to say this is good this is good and valid behavior it, it's um, it's simply the way God you know God was taking people as they were and was was using them to um, to rescue his people but she's the one that, of course that got the glory because she killed the general and uh, so then we have this um, this great song and, and I don't have time to go through it yeah I just wanted to mention something that um, Jacob and I were talking about. Barak um, said he wouldn't get the glory for jail, but yet he's listening in chapter 11 of Hebrews when they listen to Yeah, the people of faith, and, and jail is not listed as a, as a person of faith. Yeah. And, and that's very encouraging to us that a man like uh, Barak would be listed as a man of faith because we see in this chapter he didn't have enough faith. But he had enough to make it into the chapter. <laughs> well, I mean, look at us today. I mean, all of us, our faith is imperfect. I mean, you, the failures we have in our lives, it's because of, uh, of the, our faith is not perfect. 
And so this is encouraging. God is not saying, you know, you're going to be saved by perfect faith. That's not what He's saying. So, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. That was really good, Ralph. Now, in chapter 5, I'll just... It'd be wonderful just to read the read the song because it's it has such a rhythm to it. It's just exciting. But I just want to mention some things about how she starts out by saying, you know, the highways were deserted. It was really pretty bad. Um, and then in verse 8, new gods were chosen. In other words, they got rid of their idols and started serving the true God. But, you know, not a shield or a spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. They were, they were not armed. and They were going up against iron chariots. Wow. Um, so then she saw, says, you who ride on white donkeys, you who sit on rich carpets. In other words, she's writing this song at a time when people are doing much better economically. And the reason they're doing so much better is because they kicked out the enemy who was oppressing them. And says, you know, you, you people, you, know, you, you will owe a, a big debt of gratitude to these people before you. It's kind of like what, you know, when we have Veterans Day and we give thanks to the veterans of World War II, World War I, who, you know, who fought and died for us. And that's, that's what the song's like. Um, then, um, in verse 14, she starts naming some of the people that came, the Ephraimites, Zebulun, Issachar. And then she starts, <laughs> this is really funny, in verse, verse 16, Why did you sit among the sheepfolds to hear the piping for the flocks? Among the divisions of Reuben there were great searchings of heart. She's rebuking the whole tribe of Reuben. They didn't come. And this is a major problem, and it's going to remain a problem for Israel, that they, they are split into tribes. They're, they do not view themselves as all one nation. And so, um, uh, Reuben's over on this side here. This isn't the tribe map, but Reuben's on the east side. And they were invited. They didn't bother to come. And, and Gilead remained across the Jordan. Gilead's not a tribe, but a, a, a portion of Manasseh. Um, they, they didn't come. Dan didn't come. Um, Asher didn't come. And then in verse 18, Zebulun was a people who despised their lives even to death. What does that mean? They came. They, came. they were willing to, to risk death. Uh, that's what it means when they despise their lives even to death. And Naphtali also. <laughs> And um, and then in verse twenty three, after she, you know, then then there's the battle. But then in verse twenty three, curse Miraz of the angel of the Lord, utterly curse its inhabitants. There was a city. I assume it was in one of these tribes that did come, but the, nobody from that city came, and so they get cursed. Uh, they did not come to help the Lord to the help of the Lord against the warriors. And then. Um, there's a very dramatic rendering of, of how Cicero was killed. I won't read that, but whenever I teach this to teenage teenagers, I always read this because they like this. But I want to look at the very end of it. And, and you know, in poetry, you can, you can do things you can't do in prose. And you, you convey, um, in a very few words, you convey an emotion. And so here we go in verse 28. Out of the window she looked and lamented. The mother of Sisera through the lattice. Why does his chariot delay in coming? Why do the hoofbeats of his chariots tarry? Her wise princesses would answer her. Indeed, she repeats the words to herself. Are they not finding? Are they not dividing the spoil? You know, after you have a victory, you get, you get all the loot. A maiden, two maidens for every warrior. So they're going to... They're gonna, 
steal all the women from Israel after they, they kill all the men. To Sisera, a spoil of dyed work, a spoil of dyed work embroidered. Dyed work of double embroidery on the neck of the spoiler. And then suddenly the, the, she changes. Thus, let all your enemies perish, O Lord. But let those who love Him be like the rising of the sun in His might. Now, isn't that a great way to... Isn't that a great way to put this? I mean, you, you don't do that with prose, but you just... Wow! I mean, you're just there. You're, you're, you're imagining you're in the house of Sisera's mother wondering why he's taking so long. Because we know why he's taking so long. He's never going to come home. And he's not going to have all this spoil and all. He's a big jerk and God punished him with death. That's what happened to him. Yeah, Colleen. Where are you right now? Uh, at the end of Judges 5. Yeah. Are there any other questions on the song of Deborah then? Okay, now, chapter 6. We start the cycle over. And what's step one of the cycle? Israelites did evil, yeah. And what's part two of the cycle? Bring in the enemy. Who's the enemy this time? Midian. How long? Seven years. Um, and the Midianites came over from, from the east over in this area. Uh, and unlike a lot of these other conquerors, um, they did not come and stay. Um, they, um, they would wait until it was harvest time, wait until Israel had you know, chopped down all the grain and you know, threshed it out, and then they'd come in and they'd help themselves. Um, it says in verse 5, they would come up with their livestock in their tents. They would come in like locusts for number. Both they and their camels were innumerable and they came into the land and devastated. And so Israel was brought very low because of Midian. Now imagine if you're living in that society, you're in Israel, what are you going to do? I mean, they did not have grocery stores. The only food they had was food they grew themselves. And... You've just finished your harvest and the enemy just comes in and takes everything and, and, and destroys whatever they don't take. It's just devastating. And so finally they cried to the Lord and the, and the Lord sent a prophet. This is the second, only the second prophet in, the, in Judges. We only have two, in fact. Um, and God is speaking, saying, you know, I, I brought you out. I delivered you. Uh, I told you, don't fear the gods of your uh, of of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have you have not obeyed me. And apparently, that began the repentance process. And so then, the angel of the Lord came and appeared to who? To to uh, Gideon. Yes, Gideon was from what tribe? Does anyone recall? He was from the tribe of Manasseh. Um, and it doesn't have his town. His town is over. It doesn't have it on the map, but it's it's down somewhere down here, actually kind of close to Ephraim. Uh, but it was a it was a small clan of of the tribe of Manasseh. But apparently, God saw this man. He had a heart that was willing to obey God. And so, the angel appeared and. He's going to be the one to do it. And he was pretty surprised about that. Um, 
But um, that night, the Lord made an interesting command to Gideon. What was that? Yeah, this is pretty bad. I mean, here Gideon is, his own, ha- his own family, his dad's family, has this altar to who? To Baal. Along with a statue of Asherah, who was the female consort of Baal, when they would worship them both generally together. And you know this passage in the New Testament says, judgment begins at the house of the Lord? That's what this is talking about. Um, if Gideon's going to be God's man of the hour, judgment's going to begin with his house, and he better clean it up. Get that Baal worship out of there. Now, this is not the first time we've seen this. Can you name me another guy that God called and then immediately turned around and was not happy because of a disobedience? He almost died. Moses, Moses. yeah, remember? Moses, because he hadn't circumcised his younger son. Judgment begins at the house of the Lord. And, and the same thing, of course, applies to us today. If we want to be God's people, if we want to step forth in faith, we've got to make sure that we ourselves are doing right. We can't have the idols in our own houses and then think that God's going to use us to go uh, fight the enemy who are idolaters. So Gideon did it, although <laughs> exactly how did he do it? Or when did he do it more specifically? <laughs> now maybe he was doing it mostly because he thought they would try to stop him and if he did it by night, it was done by the time they found out because this wasn't going to stay secret. <laughs> but when the what did the people of the town want to do when they found out about it? Yeah, they were killed. Now you remember in the law of Moses, if if you're going to serve a god other than the Lord, what was the penalty? It was death. Yeah. But now these people turned the whole thing around, and now if you're going to serve a god other than Baal, they're going to kill it. So what what did Gideon's dad say to those people? Yeah, if Baal is upset about this, let Baal deal with it. <laughs> Which is kind of a... He was kind of tweaking these people because, of course, Baal hadn't done a thing for these people. They'd been oppressed by Midian for seven years. Yeah, Ralph. Can I ask you a question now? They have the statue of Baal in the book I read the Asherah pole. Yeah. Is that two different gods that are worshipping at the same time? Yeah, it is. The one's a male and the one's a female. But they they, did, they typically they all, almost always went together. You'd find the two at the same place. Yeah. And you know this reminds me, reminds me of the, the um, when Elijah and the four hundred prophets of Baal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's right. And it was Baal again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, call out or he must be asleep. <laughs> so and that gave Gideon a new name. What what was the name that he had then? Jerobail, yeah, Jerobail they call him, which means let Baal contend. (laughs) Um, So, and then Gideon, he's done what God wants. He's a man of faith, but he really wants to be sure. This is pretty scary what he's being asked to do. So, what does he ask from God? A sign, yeah. And God gives him a sign. God, God, God does not rebuke him, saying, you know. No sign shall be given you. <laughs> because he's, he's coming to God in faith. And, and he got the sign and he acted on it. 
Jesus gave a lot of signs to people, and they refused even to act on it. And and so he said, "Well, no signs going to be given to this generation." But Gideon got the sign; he acted, and so he he called up the forces. Um, let's go back to our um, map that has some mountains and all. And I'm pretty sure this this is taking place in the same area. Uh, it's up here in the north, although he's coming from from down here with his men. But it's up in this area uh, that. They all the 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 army gets um, assembled. They, he, the Israelites came together, and there were thirty-two thousand of them in um, in Mount Gilead. I don't know. I don't think Mount Gilead's on here, but um, it's not too far from Mount Gilboa. I, the, the Bible that's what the Bible dictionary said. So uh, apparently, the Midianites are in that vast plain there, which. That would be where uh, that was kind of the breadbasket of the country. A lot of a lot of uh, grain would have been grown in that in that flat valley, and a hundred and it doesn't say here, but later on I think it tells us that there was one hundred fifteen thousand Midianites that were were swarming like locusts in that area. Thirty two thousand against one hundred fifteen thousand is is pretty lopsided, but God thought it was lopsided in the wrong direction. <laughs> So what was the first instruction that God gave? Those who are afraid. Yeah, now where is that coming from? Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, yeah. Do you, you remember when we were studying the law? God told them, when you assemble for, for war, then the leaders must say, must tell everyone, if any of you guys are afraid, go home. Because we don't want you to make everyone else afraid. But who would have thought that two-thirds of the people would leave... Well, they were pretty scared of the 115,000. I'm sure the more people left, the more the people remaining behind would get scared. We got nobody left. I'm going home too. Finally, 10,000, they had enough courage to stay and fight. So now they're outnumbered 10 to 1. But still is not going to do. What's the problem? Why, why does God want them to be even smaller than that? That's the big problem, and and we have that problem today. We, we think that there's strength in numbers. Um, it, it, now we don't have a very big congregation here, but um, you find congregations that are big, and they think that they're doing all their great deeds because of their great numbers, and 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 they start looking at themselves. It's just a very human thing, and God is determined that God's going to be the one to get the glory. Um, we need for God to get the glory. Um, if we get the glory, it's just deadly to us. We need for Him to get the glory, and, it, and we need to have faith in Him. And this was a, an act that was designed to give faith to the people so that they won't want to go worship Baal. Baal never gave them any kind of a victory like this. 300 men against 100,000. Um, so it was a marvelous thing. Whittled them down to 300 and then... With that 300, they routed the enemy, and the enemy ended up fighting themselves. It was in the middle of the night, and they didn't know who the enemy was. They just started slashing everywhere, and thousands of them were being killed by their own people. At that point, then Gideon sent messengers to call out the rest of the people to chase them. And, um, and they did, but there were some people that kind of got mad about this, and who was that? Why did you ask them? Yeah, yeah, but 
Ephraim. Uh, Ephraim, yeah, Ephraim. Uh, it's important to know that it's Ephraim because Ephraim comes up again. Um, Ephraim was one of the leading tribes. Ephraim was uh, one of the two sons of Joseph. And there was a lot of rivalry between Judah and Ephraim and remains for the rest, almost the rest of the Old Testament. Even. So they, they get mad at Gideon. Why didn't you call us too? And so Gideon, he had a very um, peaceful answer, a very diplomatic answer. You know, What have I done compared to what you did? <laughs> and they calmed down. Um, but it's a sad, it's a sad illustration. Here these people are supposed to be doing the work of God, and what are they doing? Jealous of one another. It's it's pretty sad. Well, Gideon, meanwhile, he chases these um, the Ephraimites caught two of the major kings. Apparently there are four four leaders that they wanted to get. And Ephraim got um Oreb and Zeb. But the other two were um Zeb and Zalmunna. Yeah, how could I forget such obvious names? <laughs> oh, they go running across the Jordan River and to get away as, as fast as they can. And Gideon and his band of 300 are still ch- There's still a lot more that he's chasing than what he has in his, in his own army, 300. But, you know, they've done, they've done great so far against them. The Lord's going to give them the victory to the very end. But as they're coming along then, they're in need. I don't have the cities here, but let me see whether the other one has cities. Um, yes, yeah, good. We'll, we'll, we'll switch over here. Um, Succoth and Manuel. Here are these two towns. So he's crossed the Jordan. He's come to these two towns. We need food. You know, we, 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 we need some sustenance. We've got a long way yet to go. And we're fighting your enemy. And what's the answer they get? You don't have them yet. Yeah, we're not. You know, we're going to get in big trouble. We help you against the enemy, and you lose. That's in their own. That's in their own tribe. Well, their own nation. Yeah, nation. Yeah, not the same tribe, and that's a big problem. Yeah. Um, And I mean, those people were suffering from the Midianites too, but it's called fear. You know, they they weren't they didn't they weren't people of faith, and uh, so Gideon told him what he's going to do when he got back, and so then he they managed to to find the enemy. Still had fifteen thousand men, so these three hundred attacked the fifteen thousand and slaughtered a whole bunch and captured the two guys. Um, and on the way he back he he showed the men of those two towns that he had the enemies that they said you know do you have them in your hands and. Then he punished them for it. In fact, in one case, he, he killed all the men of the city. I assume that they they didn't accept their punishment and wanted to fight, so he fought. And but again, we're talking about you know Israelites here. It's just a, it's a sad just a sad state of affairs. It's get wor- it gets worse by the time we're at the end of the book. It gets worse. Israel is just um, they're behaving horribly. Um, but at any rate, Gideon is is doing. He's following by faith, and the battle's all over. And what do his men suggest to him? Yeah, you become the king. You rule over us, and you and your son, your son's son. And what does Gideon say? The Lord will rule over you. Good answer. We're going to stop the story before we get to that. <laughs> Now that's pretty sad, isn't it? Um, what is an ephod? 
actually played of some sort. It's been a priest Yeah, yeah, it's a priestly garment. Now, and they had they had different kinds. Um, they had a plain one for, for the ordinary priest would wear, and then the high priest had this fancy ephod that had uh, a jewel on each shoulder, and it had all these jewels on the breastplate and all. It was pretty fancy. And the fact that he needed all this gold, I assume he's going to make a pretty fancy one. Um, and I assume that in some way he's going to use this in their worship. Again, we have no mention of Shiloh or the tabernacle here. Um, and and I assume that Gideon's motives were good. I think he wanted to lead the people to God. But it wasn't the worship that God had established and, and it, it led the people astray. It was pretty sad. But they did have peace, for, it says, for 40 years. And he had a number of wives. He had how many sons? 70, 70 sons, yeah. Um, and the people... Well, I, yeah, I can't figure out whether they might have even had 72, but um, maybe the 70 is round numbers. I don't know. If I had 70 sons, I might lose count. <laughs> um, so that leads us to chapter 9. And the one son that is too bad he had, he had with a concubine rather than with a full wife. And what's his name? Abimelech. And he was jealous of his brothers who were the full sons with the full rights. And what town is he living in? Yes. He's living here in, in, in Shechem, uh, which is a very famous town. Um, that was the town where uh, Levi and uh, Simeon uh, sought all those people. When you remember that sad story in, in the story of Jacob, um, that was the town where Jacob Joseph's bones were buried when they brought him back from Egypt. That was also the town where Jacob's well was. You remember Jesus was tired when he got to Samaria and he sat down by a well. It was Jacob's well. That was the, that was the same town. <laughs> It was outside of town, of course, the well was. Um, well, he he goes to the people of the town and he's rotten and apparently they're rotten too. And and um, they work they work this deal. They take seventy pieces of silver. Where do they get the piece of silver from? Yeah, they're taken out of their idol temple. The, the idol temples in those days were, were used like banks. They were they had they were treasuries and so, and I guess you know money had been given, donated to Baal. So they took the money out and paid him with Baal money to go and slaughter his brothers. So they can't. And I, I don't know whether his brothers were trying to rule over the area. I don't. I don't know. But the implication is yes. So he killed all of them except one who who hid, Jotham. And then Jotham told this interesting fable about the trees. Um, and and ended up being a prophecy that came true against Abimelech, um, and so then of course he had to run away. But um, it says in verse twenty-two, this is chapter nine. Now Abimelech ruled over Israel three years. Now understand when it says ruled over Israel, he did not by any stretch of the imagination rule over this whole area. Um, he he just ruled over a. a Probably a very tiny area there. He has his band of seventy ruffians, 
that do his bidding, and, and he just kind of lords it over these towns. Um, but then the people of Shechem got tired of this after a while, which is exactly what Jotham was predicting would happen. And so they, they got some, somebody else to come into their town who had his own band, and, and he's going to be able to, to rescue them. But meanwhile, there's, some, there's a guy in, uh, in Shechem um, who is loyal to Abimelech, so he secretly sends word back to Abimelech what's going on, and Abimelech comes in, and the end result is Abimelech slaughters the people of the town, completely raises it, um, and sows it with salt. And, and at the end, the people, the leaders at least, run into one building that's still safe, which is what? It's their temple, yes. Um, let me see where that is. Um, the, the, the inner chamber of the temple of El Barith. Um, El is, is a Hebrew word meaning God. And I've got this interesting picture that comes from Bible archaeology that um, I hope you can see that. This is an aerial view of their excavating the ancient city of Shechem. And that, that this, this is a wall, a city wall they say dates to the Middle Bronze Age, which the Middle Bronze Age would have been a little bit earlier than this. Uh, we're, we're at what they would consider the um, early Iron Age is what, they, is what this would be dated at. Two different archaeologists have, have, have excavated this site, and both of them have agree that the site was destroyed in 1100 B.C. And they both said this very likely was the, what's recorded here in, in Judges 9 by Abimelech. Um, this building here, that's the temple of El Barith. That, that, that we're just looking at the foundation. The foundation was made out of stone, but, but a good part of the building would have been wood. And that's where the thousand, was it a thousand people it said? A thousand people went into the temple, and and what happened to them? They got burned up. They were they all died in the fire. And uh, so then he went to another town, Thebes, and captured that one. Was it Thebes that Deborah was rebuking for not coming? I forget now. I thought it might have been. Yeah, no. I these these names start sounding alike. Anyway, they pulled. They did the same thing. They ran into their tower, and and Abimelech has already done this before. Go get some branches, you know, build a big fire. But it didn't end quite the same. What happened this time? His arm bearer killed him. Oh, what a shame! What a sad ending. <laughs> Die by your own armor bearer. <laughs> Actually, he, he was a woman um, heard him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 She's on the top of this tower. She sees him down below, and she takes an upper millstone. You know, they had these hand mills they would crank, and a millstone, you know, about this big around. She, she grabs that, drops on his head. I'm amazed he's able to talk at all after he, he gets he gets his skull crushed in. But he, of course, he knows he's going to die. So yeah, as Matthew said, his armor bearer killed him. <laughs> he didn't want to be embarrassed about. It. Being killed by a woman. Yeah. 
Is that rule in a city? Well, yeah, you can't grow crops where, where there's salt in the ground. I mean, over a period of time, the water would, the rain would wash the salt out. But um, yeah, for a period of time, you can't you can't grow any crops. So that's why Second was still still a functioning city during Jesus' time. Oh yeah, yeah. After a period of time, they could use it again. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's over a thousand years before Jesus came along. Sure. It. I'm sure the salt would have been washed away by then. Yeah. But that was done a, a lot back back in ancient times where they would just deliberately destroy the the, the crop land of a city after they after they destroyed it. Yeah. Alright, any questions then on Abimelech? Um so got, this was a case where the enemy was not from the outside. <laughs> He didn't bring in the Midianites. He didn't bring in the Philistines. He brought in Abimelech, one of their own people, to punish them. But how fitting is this that the people would die in their own temple of Baal? I mean, this is the, they're being punished by God for worshiping Baal. And of course, pretty fitting that Abimelech would get killed while he's trying to conquer the temple of Baal. <laughs> and so chapter 10 is a... Um, it's, chapter 10 is kind of an introduction to the next story. Um, the, they go along peacefully for a while. It mentions a couple of judges and we know nothing about them. Just you know, Apparently they were, things were at peace when they were there. But verse 6, the cycle repeats, the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord, served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. And he lists a bunch of gods. Someone did the count. I didn't count it, but they said it was seven different gods they were worshiping. And God was mad. Um, and he, who were the enemies he sold them into? And and the Ammonites, yes. Now these are two enemies. Um, I've got to switch back. Um, um, yeah. Um, the Philistines were in this area. Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gath, Eglon, those are all Philistine cities. The Ammonites are over here. And I don't think the two were teamed up. It's the, the, God was selling them into these two different nations, and it was different parts of the land that were suffering from, from each. Um, and so the, then, you know, next phase in the, in the uh, cycle, the sons of Israel repent. They're sorry. Help, Lord. And what did the Lord say? This is the strangest response. It, does, it doesn't follow our usual cycle. The next cycle is going to, supposed to be God rescues them, but God says, no, I'm, I'm, I've rescued you enough. Go ask the Baals to rescue you. You've been worshiping them. They'll rescue you. <laughs> and of course, they knew very well the Baals weren't going to rescue them. Um, and, and they just can't handle this. They find that, you know, we have sinned. Do to us whatever seems good to you, only please deliver us this day. They've been brought to the lowest extremity. And it says, um, so they put away the foreign gods from among them and serve the Lord, and He could bear the misery of Israel no longer. <laughs> That's a beautiful picture. Um, so, the first story is going to be about delivering from the Ammonites. Then next week, we're going to do the story of delivering from the Philistines. Who's going to be that judge? Samson, Samson yeah. Um, but in this case... Um, the Ammonites, it's, this is primarily a problem on the east side of, 
of Jordan. And there's a region in here called Gilead. It's not on this map, but it's not, it's not a tribe. It's a region of, of the area called Gilead. And it mentions in chapter 11 a guy who was a Gileadite, a valiant warrior. And who is that? Jephthah. Jephthah, yeah. He's got a big problem. And what's the big problem? Yeah. His mother was a prostitute. So he's not, um, you know, his brothers aren't going to have anything to do with him. And so he just has to, he grows up, well, after he's grown up, he, he, he just lives away from the, the people that have thrown him out. Um, it says in the land of Tob. And he gathered a bunch of other guys that were, I guess, in the same situation he was in. But he was a leader. He led them, and, and apparently they were making raids on the Ammonites, and, and they were making their way in life that way. And so when the leaders of, of, the, of Israel need someone to lead them against Ammon, who better to pick than a guy who's already had experience doing that? And so they, they ask him, and what's his response? Yeah, I didn't think you liked me. <laughs> well, but they end up promising him that if he'll do it, and they win, and he wins, if God gives him the victory, then he'll be their leader. So he agrees. And the first thing he does, and this is a very interesting thing, and I, we're not going to have time to maybe even finish the whole story, but um, he first sends a message to Ammon to try to get peace without fighting, and and tries to reason with the guy that look, this is our land; it's not your land. And we learn some interesting details here that we didn't know before, and that is that this whole land here used to belong to the Ammonites. But before Moses and the Israelites arrived, they had lost it to Sihon, the king of Og, the king of the Amorites. Amorites are not the same as Ammonites. <laughs> and now here we are, and Jephthah says it's, it's been like 300 years since... since uh, Moses and, and the Israelites conquered Sihon. So how come you didn't object in these whole 300 years? How come you're just coming along now? This is crazy. It says, God gave us this land. You keep the land God, your God gave you. We'll keep the land our God gave us. And of course, you know, that means that the king of Ammon, he's going to do what he's able to do and he's able to, to stomp on these people. So Jephthah then fights this battle and God gives him the victory. He doesn't go into a lot of detail, but um, God gives him the victory and, and he wins. But he's very famous for what? What did he do before the battle? He made a rash yeah, he, it, the Bible doesn't call it a rash vow. He made a vow. <laughs> he promised to give whatever came out of his house first to meet him to God. And Of course, there's been a lot of questions about what does that mean? Did he really kill this daughter? Um, and you know, I, I can find you commentators that will say one or say the other. Um, I can I can say one thing that if he killed her, obviously he was violating the law, and he seems to have some familiarity with the law here. So that just seems odd that he would do that. I mean, human sacrifice was completely forbidden in the law of Moses. So I, I would think it's more likely that he devoted her to some kind of service to God. We read nothing in the law about this kind of devotion where she's not allowed to be married. And this sounds like he's sending her to go be in a nunnery, you know, like it happened in the Middle Ages. Um, but we have nothing about that in the law. But we don't know. I mean, a lot of things went on here that we don't know about. Um, so apparently she did get um, devoted to God in some sense where she wasn't allowed to get married and he never had any 
other children or grandchildren, so that was the kind of end of his line. Um, I need to cover one more thing, though. Who got mad? Who got mad at the end of this? Ephraimites again, yeah. See, they're over here on the west side of Jordan. Yeah, how come you didn't invite us? Well, and so he says, oh, what am I compared to you? You have done so much. No, that's not what he did, is it? <laughs> he, wasn't, he was not another Gideon. Um, of course, they were, they were rougher on him than they had been before on Gideon. What were they going to do to him? They're going to burn his house down on him. I mean, they were going to kill him. Kill him just because they felt insulted. You didn't invite us to the battle. What? Jerks. And but what happened in, in by the end of it? He killed a bunch of them. I mean, here we have Israelites fighting Israelites, and um, forty-two thousand people of Ephraim died. I mean, these are very, very sad times. Just terrible. Well, anything else before we close? Appreciate everyone's help. Samson comes up next. <laughs>